Welcome to IMTV. I'm Alan Keyes, and this is Let's Talk America. And you know what day it is. This is Monday, first day of the week. It's the day when we get together to encourage each other. We are the three friends, uh, also called the three amigos. We gather together basically just to, as they used to say, shoot the breeze. And we'll be doing it starting, I think, today. I have a little something to put on the table about, uh, about what schools are now doing to children, which I actually believe is a form of child abuse, but we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, and we have many other things to talk about, including the coronavirus and other things uh, which are now rampant throughout the world, not to mention all the politics going on. <laughs> Who can figure it out? We will, right after this message. <laughs> are great when you're a multitasking person. You can listen to them around the house, when you're out in the car, when you take a walk. Now we have put our shows on to podcasts, and you can listen to Let's Talk America uh, on podcasts. You can find them at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, and other apps. And while you're there, subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out on our new episodes. Thanks for listening and supporting us. Together, we're changing the world. Want more IMTV episodes? We are now streaming through Roku. Roku is a device that enables you to stream entertainment to your TV through your internet provider. The starting price is only $29, and you can purchase one either online or through your local electronics retailer. It's easy to use, and you won't have to worry about missing any more IMTV episodes. IMTV, changing the world. Welcome back. Well, today, today I have to start with outrage. Because I saw something, it was actually yesterday, day before, uh, I saw, and, and today I read an article about it at World Net Daily, the headline of which, the headline of which read as follows, school launches secret program to turn kids trans, that's transgender, without telling their parents. Can you believe that? They have a program going on in, in a Wisconsin school where they, the, the child goes to school and he's all dressed the way the parents think he's dressed or she is dressed and so forth and he goes out and you know, have their breakfast and they're sent off to school. They get to school, they change their clothes into their chosen gender identity and then they go through their school day and then they come back, take oh. off the clothes and everybody at the school, the principal, the teachers, everybody else is enjoined from telling the concerned parents that this is happening. This is outrageous. I mean, I really think I might have been tempted to pick up a baseball bat and go <laughs> knock some principal upside their head <laughs> if they tried that sort of junk with my children. You sound like Alex Jones. No, I'm sorry. It, it's just, it's not appalling. I find that appalling. That is well, appalling. this is, honestly, this is just a small step. I think we've been seeing this sort of thing for a long time now. You talk about uh, where they're talking about taking kids away from the parents if the parents don't necessarily agree with the chi child's chosen identity, uh, giving children hormones. Uh, there was a kid, literally, I think it was yesterday or today, uh, was at one of the booty judge, or booty gig, or however you call it, whatever his <laughs> name is, events, talking about, you know, is it time for me to come out as gay? Should I come out gay as gay now? He's nine years old. Well, He's pre-hormonal. This, this is what is so infuriating, though. Why is it that parental authority is respected anyway? Because generally speaking, and it is confirmed by just about everybody's experience, not everybody, everybody, but most people, 
Uh, we find that children are wonderful. I love my child the first moment. I think I really discovered the absolute true meaning of love the first time I looked on my child. I said, to, I, that's what it feels like. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Because it's more <laughs> than a feeling. Awesome. It's more than a feeling. No, it's more than a feeling. <laughs> it is a commitment that, 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 that your very life is there, and you're, you're willing to give it from that moment forward for a little baby who can't do anything for you, can't do anything to you, but God does it all, persuades you right away. Mm. But uh, nonetheless, but one thing we know about children, though, Sense, y'all. Sense they lack in many, many ways. Do we trust our children when they're coming up to make decisions for themselves? Should I have candy instead of dinner? Right? Should I uh, be uh, drinking this uh, syrupy soda instead of having my milk with breakfast? Who, makes, who allows children to make such decisions, even after you've explained it to them half the time? They don't fully understand it. When their passions rise up, they go this way and that without even understanding what's going on. So that's why there's an age of reason before which you're not supposed to even assume that they can take care of themselves in a little way. And even for years and years after that, now we know the brain, the part of the brain that actually introduces you to self-restraint in 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 an actual, that doesn't start to work until we're well past adolescence. It's, I think it was 25 years old or oh something. Oh, my goodness. So we now know why we had such problems. That explains a lot of things. Through the whole time. Who in their right mind is then not going to be infuriated at the thought that anybody for some ideological agenda of their own, even if it's all about how they want to assert their dignity and stuff, they do it at the expense of exploiting your children? Mm. You don't get to do that. As a parent, you don't get to do that. You're caught doing that, and they can throw you under the jail. And yet you're going to let other people go behind your back and do it? Come on. This is infuriating. This is intolerable. It's a direct assault on more than just parenting, by the way. And, and, and I, I just find it appalling. It, it, and it shows how far we're going in a direction that destroys any individual claim to property. That's a leap. Mm. They think that's a, you think that's a leap, don't you? Did I just make a leap from talking about our children? To par- okay, let me ask you a simple question. What is the first and clearest unequivocal form of belonging that nobody can dispute? Nobody can dispute. I say, this belongs to me, and everybody understands why. When a mother says that about her child, this Mm -hmm. is my child. Why is it your child? Because, as a parent, I contributed to producing the child. And as a mother, I did the labor of bringing the child into the world. All that Marxist commie stuff and all the Lockean stuff and all these philosophers down through the ages. So property is mixing your labor with it, right? The labor theory of value. Mix your labor with it. That makes it your property. How can we ignore the fact that in two distinct ways, because it's pleasurable, we don't think of it as labor, but it's still work, okay? That is done to conceive the child in the first place. And second, the work that is done in bearing the child, nurturing the child, and then bringing the child into the world. A clearer form of labor contributing to uh, something in its relation to you I don't know how to conceive of. That means I think it would be fair to say that the first form of clearly identifiable property, contrary to all these philosophers, is the one that common sense said from the very beginning practically of all time, 
was the source of property, and that is the belonging to a family, the belonging to a group of people that is defined by that labor which represents our participation in the labor of God that is creation. Do I make sense? You do. I, I, I question, though, because are we starting to get into the argument of if that child is property, that's almost the Planned Parenthood argument of that child is my property, I can do what I want with them. You're right to bring it up, but what is the actual situation of the mother in relation to the child as her belonging? It's not as instrument. It's a matter of fact, when the child first comes into the world, the instrumental body is our body. We're the ones who have to serve the child. It's some, some mark, I used to tell people all the time that 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 child wakes up in the night and you hear that cry. No emperor in the history of the world was ever served with more alacrity, with more wholeheartedness, with more real commitment. <laughs> than a parent who hears that child. Child does, doesn't, can't, doesn't have any money, doesn't have any power, doesn't have any army to command you. You jump out of that bed and you're at that child's side. You are laboring and serving that child as the most, most prostrate kind of slave. Only if you can't get your wife to do it. Exactly. But hey, look, I'll leave it to others to work out their relationship with their wife. But the simple fact of the matter is that that call of nature is one of those calls that nobody forces you to do it, but you do it with all your heart. And the simple fact is, that's the first sign of belonging. And it isn't that the child belongs to you as instrument. It's that you care for the child as your responsibility. So the definition isn't like Planned Parenthood, because the true definition illustrated in that relationship between parent and child is that the child first appears in the world not as your tool, not as your instrument, not as your possession to use as you please, but as your responsibility. And that means, that gives rise to a wholly different understanding of what property is about. And we need to think it through. Because I think that wholly different understanding is what leads us finally to a concept of economic freedom that reflects the truth that freedom is not about doing what you want to do for your own sake. It's about meeting the challenge of doing what you are obliged to do for the sake of God's work in this world, which is shown to you in that moment as a parent, as well, a child. Well, you just stole my doggone point. I was writing what, it what, down. Go ahead, go ahead, you started what, talking what, about what? responsibility. I said, I agree with you. It is a responsibility, but that responsibility is not necessarily to the child. It's a responsibility to God, yes. first and foremost, yes. because then you have the child. It is a child of God. Just that is right. The first true family is between God and the child, yes. and then your family. And then, I, like I said, I think that responsibility is not only to the child, but to God to, to God. do good things as well, raising that child. See, I think that you're exactly right. Pretty and good. the responsibility to God, of course, is at the heart of it. Because it is, we could use the word responsibility, but it's really and quite literally exemplified, by the way, in the, in the mother's relationship to the child when it's being born. And I don't mean coming into the world, I mean being carried. For, for those nine months it takes the child to mature. That is obligation. Mm. 
an obligation from the Latin ligare, meaning to bind, is what the way it's usually to bind something to something else. That mother is literally, the umbilical cord represents it when the child is born. The, the mother is bound to the child, but really, as you say, bound to God to do his benevolent will, which at the end of the day is what is responsible for the life of the child. That's as far from planned parenthood's understanding of matters as you can get. Our body, ourselves. No, the child's body, mm. right? is not yourself in the simple sense. Your t the child's body is the body of God, right? As it were, the product and, and possession of God, which he entrusts to your care as your responsibility. And you actually look forward to that responsibility. <laughs> Bob's over there no, like, no, 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 precisely. So it may be two o'clock in the morning, it may be two o'clock in the afternoon, it may be noonday, but I am willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that when you actually did what was necessary to play your part in all of this, your main thought in your mind was, yes, God, yes, yes, you said it in affirmation of the truth. That what you and your spouse were producing was a will of God in which you took the most profound and glorious pleasure. And, and then to deny this later and say, no, it's just so I can kill my baby. This is, this is so sick. It is such a revolting rejection of who we really are and the significance of the act of procreation that I don't know where to begin. But it's now leading to this assault, Right? Because what is this assault about? It's about turning your back on procreation and the connection between human sexuality and pleasure and the obligation and responsibility to perpetuate the human race. Well, this is not the first assault that these children have had. The first day they were born, they were given vaccines. Mm. Horrible, horrible stuff. We were with uh, Sherry Tenpenny out in Houston and very vocal opponent to vaccines and one of the great leaders and I'm very proud of her but yes they attack our children from day one they give them a, they start vaccines day one and that's horrible and, the, and they're damaging a lot of kids even the kids that don't get autism are damaged you know the, the autoimmune diseases amongst our kids is over 50% now hmm. so it's terrible what they're doing and that's another usurpation of parental responsibility. Absolutely. Claiming that they're going to push you aside for the sake of something they have determined to be the good of all, right? And that's a way, and they say, they say that they're not going to listen to you because your freedom of religion doesn't enter into it. And I say, uh, you are disregarding something about religion because you're imposing your religion, which is to say your understanding of good on the whole, right? against my religion, which is based on and, and reflects the will of God for the whole. And so they are, in fact, imposing on our religious conscience in such a way as to totally destroy one of the fundamental premises of our whole identity as a people. Well, I had a, a good friend post something the other day, and I thought, you know, that's very brilliant. They talked about a great relationship, and a great relationship isn't just a man and a husband and a wife. A great relationship is really three people. It's husband, wife, and Jesus in the middle mm -hmm. holding them together. If you don't have that person in the middle pulling them together, holding them together, at least in some way, shape, or form, you know, you're, you're looking at a real uphill battle. 
Well, and, and I've always used this illustration in marriages as two people draw nearer to God, they get nearer to each other. Truly. And that, 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 there's no doubt well, until that until finally, that of course, but, they become one flesh. Mm. See? And, and, and I know people often think of that as if it has something to do with sexual relations, which it does. But at the same time, I remember thinking years ago that in point of fact, it is literal truth now, and we know it down to the ground in this generation on account of our science. We know that it is literally the case that our children represent the union, the fleshly union of us and our spouse. That's the child, and we can show that in their DNA right down to the most minute level mm. of our fleshly existence. Uh, and yet, in the face of this confirmation of what is really going on, we are now pretending that if you kill that child, you are killing the one made in your image and likeness, which affirms the biblical truth that the attack that's taking place is not just on the body of the child. It's what the child represents in the world, uh, which then echoes God's statement about who we represent in the world. Do you see what I'm saying? We, we are attacking the most profound claim to dignity that we have as human beings, which does not depend on our wealth, on our power, on our place in the world, but only on God's understanding and intention for us, clearest in, in our very being, but also made manifest in the heart with which we respond to our children uh, at that time that they are born, uh, which is a kind of moment that, well, I don't know, those of you who are fathers, um, it used to be the case, I understand, that fathers were excluded from the actual delivery of their child for a while, not all through history, but uh, uh, recent history in the West. And I'm so glad they did away with that, because one of the greatest and most exalting moments of my life, better than anything, I, I've seen, the, I saw, saw the space shuttle fired off and all these things I thought would stir my imagination because I was so interested in science fiction, all this when I was young. And I look back on my life and I say to myself, yeah, but it's still true that nothing lifted me out of myself and made me exult in the glory of God more than that moment when my first child came into the world. It was an amazing moment. Mm. I, I, I have to say. And, 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 and so I think there are so many things that ought to be reminding us that what's going on in the child as in the birth of the child and the union of the parents and other stuff is way beyond us. It's not about our bodies and ourselves. It's about something that encapsulates the enormity of the universe itself. Why aren't we allowing these people to force us to accept a mentality that rejects this truth? I think people want to use children as a social experiment to prove their own ideology uh, a lot of times, especially uh, you could say this in schools a lot of times, but the example you brought up about them trying to push a child who is really an undeveloped mind into one direction or another, mm. I, I think it's a form of child abuse. Uh, you're, you're probably going to see, I think, even more of it because people want to say, I'm the God over that child, and I'm going to make that child into the image that I want them to be in. But in reality, they're causing more suicides. The suicide rate among children who are sexual confusion has gone up. It hasn't gone down. As we have become more open-minded toward, toward uh, uh, the homosexual community, Everybody, the logical situation would be, oh, these children, now that they are accepted into the community, 
they have less problems. Well, it's just been the opposite. Mm. These children are having more problems now because it has messed with their well, psychology so much. Think about it. I was reading an article the other day that say that now when the, they're doing all this pronoun stuff, <laughs> and apparently they're coming up, they have come up with the thought of calling the, the uh, transgender children they instead of he or she, you call them they. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, there would have been a time when some discerning people would have said that that's encouraging mental illness. And that's creating the grounds for all kinds of personality disorders, split personalities, multiple personalities, you name it, uh, which then are no longer integrated into a harmonious whole that can function uh, under the the aegis of our mind and spirit and reason as one, one human being, uh, um, uh, whole, wholesomely integrated uh, so that they can function properly. But they don't seem to care. They don't care about the physical implications. They don't care about the moral implications. They don't care about the body blow being dealt to parental authority. They only care about asserting their will and forcing us to shape our conscience according to that will, even as we deal with the most serious personal obligation that practically we face as human beings, which is the obligation of care for our children. It's, it's not just a disgrace. It's an attack, literally, on each and every one of us. Final point, though, it's also an attack on that premise that ha organizes our government. Because at the end of the day, if you can't justify the parent's authority over the child at a very rudimentary and profoundly fundamental way, which is a rulership, right? The parents get to make the rules. That's the first and most personal exercise of sovereignty. And when we accept that responsibility, if we do it properly in the course of our relations with our children, we act as king in the most serious way, showing that we can prefer the good of the whole to our own selfish good. We prove that we are fit sovereigns. And I think this is the end thing, the end game. They're doing all of this in order to turn us away from the character that fits us to govern our own nation. So they can come back and say, you people, you can't govern yourselves. You don't know how to handle this kind of power. It's been taken away from you. You can't even take care of your own children anymore. And we have to do it for you. <laughs> and, and so they are up, pushing all of this in order to get rid of the form of government that allows us the dignity of self-government, which is the whole point of the existence of the United States. Let me ask you a question. Maybe you have a good understanding of this and what you think it is. I question a lot of times, in education especially, uh, in certain situations you can't, uh, a teacher who is dealing with a rebellious child can't spank a child. Mm can't discipline a child, can't do anything to a child, can't literally touch a child, even if the child is pretty much hitting them. Uh, they can't even barely defend themselves. Yeah. But they can do things like push social ideology on children. Are, are, is it because, and a lot of times, is it because the teacher wants to be the friends of the child? They want to be the friends of their ideology, well, ideological see, I, peers? I, I think we have to, we have to take a, a look at this in a in the broader context. And I know we only got 45 seconds no, left. No, no, in this section. In this section. But, but you raise an issue that, that I think then t gets us into more general things as well uh, because it turns out to be, I think, an issue that again is related to this, to this problem of who's going to control things at the end of the day. 
uh, and we're being pushed as a people out of control and to be put under what uh, the fellow at the uh, uh, um, Daily Caller calls the ruling class. Do we have a ruling class in this country? And if so, who is it? Ponder mm. that question as we get more deeply into this right after we get back. I'm Alan Keyes. I just want to let you know that on a recurring basis every Tuesday, we're going to have a guest, Mike Adams, the Health Ranger. He's going to be joining us to talk about the whole array of challenges, both in terms of our health as a people and as individuals, and our health as a nation. We'll be looking at those things through the eyes of someone who has thought deeply about many things and who has many great ideas to share with me and with you and with everyone who tunes in to Let's Talk America on Tuesdays when we meet with the Health Ranger to talk about how we sustain the health of our liberty. Welcome back. Well, before we we'll get back into our subject, I just want to uh, report what I think is good news from this article that we were talking about in the first segment. The Wisconsin in Institute for Law and Liberty and the Alliance Defending Freedom are representing 14 individual parents from eight families who contend that this policy of, of uh, sort of secretive transgender uh, stuff going on behind their backs uh, violates constitutionally protected parental rights. And I believe that they're absolutely correct in, in this. And I hope that they're making the most powerful constitutional argument that can be made for it. Because I think at the end of the day, uh, it falls directly under the rubric of depriving you of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, without demonstrating. Instead of demonstrating that you've done something wrong, which is what due process of law requires, they do something wrong in violating that trust which God has placed in you and in nobody else as the first respondent, as it were, for the needs and welfare of your children. I'm going to go a half a step back from that and say the parents are equally at fault with this because they have allowed their children to continue on to go to that school. If you and but I think there's know. already been a court case. I know, I, but when they do, once you do learn these things, it, I think it is. I think there has been a court case already argued about this. That uh, I think it was opt out of some sex ed classes that were talking yeah. about transgender issues, and they said, no, you can't opt out if you don't believe in what the school is teaching. That's fine. You can take your child out of school and homeschool them, or take them to a private school. But you do not necessarily have the right if you're going to turn your children over to yeah. the school then you have placed in them that That's responsibility. That's a false conclusion. False conclusion. Uh, the responsibilities we place in government are actually trust. The government has no power of its own. All its power is derived from the consent of the governed, according to our understanding. And that's why I tell you. But see, you have given consent when you send the kids to that no, school. No, you have not. You give consent when you establish the government. You give consent based on the strictures laid out in the Constitution as to how the laws are going to respect your individual conscience and responsibilities. When they step across those lines and invade those responsibilities, they are not acting lawfully. 
They are acting against the most profound and fundamental premise of our constitutional way of life, that powers have been delegated according to these terms, and you have violated these terms. That's actually a casus belli. It is the reason that the founders went to war against the British monarch, and they're pushing us hard now. Washington. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not again. No, 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 <laughs> all I'm saying, no, 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 no. Uh, all I'm saying is that that... That that argument is predicated on the notion that somehow we have a government that rules over us according to the terms of law. No, we have laws that are meant to represent our goodwill for the community and its welfare within the boundaries of unalienable right endowed not by the government or human laws, but by the government of God and the laws of nature and nature's God. That's the fundamental premise of our regime. And if we back away from it in respect of our most important obligation, which is also the first primary and most important real property to which we lay claim in the world, then we have given up ourselves. Uh, they say our body ourselves, but it's certainly, when they are young, our children ourselves. And if they can come in and steal away your children, that's what the rapine and murderers used to do when they conquered a place. They could take the women and violate them. They could take the children and dash their brains out. And you were to stand by helplessly as they destroyed them. And now we must stand by helplessly as they destroy their spirit, their conscience, and their minds. But this isn't, is it us, isn't it travesty. us who is turning our children over to that state? It's our own responsibility. If we don't like well, the education the state provides, we should provide ourselves. Step number one, we provide the education. The state doesn't provide anything in this country. The government doesn't have any money, and it doesn't have any will. That's clear. And in our form of government, when they start acting like the state is the power, they have forgotten how God distributes power. And that's exactly what's wrong in this country right now. Our people have forgotten who we are. Okay? The government doesn't have power over us. The government comes to, into existence because our responsibility to God empowers us to perform certain functions. And the foremost, clearest, first of those functions is the care of our children. Well, the reality is we live, we're living in a messed up world. Mm -hmm. If the babies uh, survive the abortionist, then by the time they get into school somewhere, they're trying to dress them up weird. If we don't get back to God, I'm talking about a large number of people. Matter mm -hmm. of fact, we're calling on one million Americans to start reading the Bible one hour every day. And that would probably be a minimum number that it's going to take to bring us back from the brink where we're, we're looking into the abyss right now. And, uh, and we're going to have to repent of a lot of this stuff. If we collectively get back to God, these things will, will, they'll really look horrific as they do to you, but they'll look that way to a vast majority of people. So it's truly render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. Our, our children are of God, and therefore we should be rendering unto them, not necessarily unto the state of the public education. See, but I, I think the beauty of what you've just said is that the biblical quotation, when you think it through, is clearly predicated on the truth. Render, because 
in the actual passage, what Christ does before he says that is he asks them to show him a coin, right? Um, and, and he asks, whose image is stamped upon this coin? And the answer is, my Caesar's image, right? What question does that bring to the mind of his audience, steeped as they would have been in the scriptures? It takes them all the way back to the beginning of scripture. And it leads you to ask the question, whose image is stamped upon Caesar? Mm -hmm. So if the coin with Caesar's image belongs to Caesar, then the Caesar with God's image belongs to God so that the laws of God bind government Mm. to respect the rule and responsibilities and obligations that God has entrusted to each and every individual. I say again, starting with the responsibility for our children. So the separation of church and state is not contrary to the lies that these lawyers try to tell. The separation of church and state is not supported by that scripture. What's supported by that scripture is the submission of all law and all justice and all rights to God, who is the source of that which shapes, forms, and informs all of them. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no evidence that he gave that coin back. (laughs) <laughs> he took 10%. Just he only took 10% and gave the rest of it back. Just, I guarantee you. Just saying. <laughs> of course, Rabbi. we could get into a great court case there because he did use, if he used the words that are in the scripture, he says, um, um, uh, show me a coin. It was for show, not for possession. So he should give it back. But how can you be sure he didn't give it back? Uh, give me a coin. Give me a coin. Maybe the Thank evangelist you. I've seen, I've seen those magicians do those tricks yeah, before. Exactly. Give me a twenty dollar bill. And you never well, see twenty again. Say, remember that movie? There, there was a movie about this publicist. Coronavirus. Uh, something. And and his favorite phrase was "Show me the, the money." money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And and who would have thought Tom of Christ as that character? <laughs> Show me the money. <laughs> That's what he wanted to. You see know, first. you you made me think of something that I'd never really thought of before. You talked about uh, the image of Caesar, and that is. We are all in God's image. Even Caesar was in God's image. I never really thought of that before. Mm. So. Yeah, so Christ could have been, I think was, making a point that went way over the heads of people who were only looking at the money and never looking at God. See, and I wonder sometimes, y'all, isn't this one of our besetting sins in our society that we're always looking somewhere else? We say God, but we're always looking somewhere else. Mm. We're not looking at God's way and God's truth. That's why I think what you just uh, were calling people to become part of uh, uh, is so important because we need to seek in every way we can that guidance from God, which gives us a sense of what is to be done in our own lives. And in our present situation as a people, they want us to forget every moment of the day, I think, with their nonsense, that we were the first people in the history of mankind in which the sovereign power of government was in its essential wholeness entrusted to the people, mm. right? Not in reaction to this or that and so forth and so on, but the people taking the initiative to establish the direction of, of the society— But it was all done not on the premises of this or that 
other philosopher or way of thinking and etc but on a way of thinking that was derived from the biblical understanding of how it becomes possible for ordinary human beings with faculties just as normal as they could be no great geniuses no big power no birth and ancestry and so forth except the ancestry of god well i have to wonder about watching the nevada election results roll in about the thinking process of some of the people who we have entrusted this choice That's to. That's a great segue. You did that I, a really well. Transition, you like that little transition there? <laughs> I uh, like that. You know, I, I have to wonder about some of that when you have Bernie Sanders winning and getting a 20-point spread on Joe Biden number two. Mm. Well, you know, we were just talking a little bit, to be quite clear about it, uh, before the show, and you came up with a very good theory, I think, about how that happens. Well, I, I thought really the reason that, the Demo- that you have a far-left socialist winning these elections, election after election, is because the moderate Democrats have become Trump Republicans. And so <laughs> all the moderates are gone from the party. So all you have left are the radicals, and that's who are pushing this whole election forward. Well, that's what they did in the last election. The, the Democrats that won sounded like Trump. They, had, they were very moderate, and, and that's how they won the House. But now that they're there, they turn into demons. Mm. But um, I wonder, do you think that's going to change the House, the structure of the House in the next election? Do you think there's going to be a pushback and say, well, you promised us you were going to be moderate. You promised us you were going to work with the president when you could, could do things. But when people watch things like the State of the Union and everybody's sitting down when Trump's talking about all these wonderful things, yeah. ta- sitting down when they're talking about war heroes and, and more or less booing everything the president does and voting to impeach him on a unit rule where every single person votes to impeach when I think the majority of regular Americans saw it was bogus. Do you think there's going to be a pushback and some of those people are going to lose those seats in purple districts? If we don't, we need to win the House. It's not going to be enough to win the next presidency if we don't take the House back. It's going to be another four years of stupidity. And that, that would be a real disgrace for President Trump to have to put up with this kind of uh, ridiculous infighting. I mean, they have the Democrats have not helped do anything positive for three years now. All they've done is they, they, they're, like, they're like idiots, to be honest. It's roadblocks, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, that's all well, they do. They've, they've also, I think, been doing a job of work. If you put things together... They've been doing a job of work with all these phony allegations and yeah. conspiracy theories of, uh, of uh, uh, or so-called conspiracy theories, but really collusion aimed at coming up with false narratives that they can try to use to discredit the president. Well, Russia, Russia collusion's coming back for the next clearly, election. Well, see, what I think is really Already. going on but with the Democrats, though, leave Russia and all this out of it. There has been collusion between the Democrats and key elements in the bureaucracy to thwart and overturn the will of the people, to f- overthrow our oh, form absolutely. of government, basically. Absolutely. So that, as Nancy Pelosi said several years ago, elections won't matter that much. You can have an election and nothing changes because the real power is in the hands. And it was Tucker Carlson, his name I was trying to remember, who writes articles referring to the ruling class. My skin always gets a little antsy, and, and, and I feel uncomfortable in the presence of that term. Because we're not supposed to have a ruling class in America. But Nancy Pelosi thinks we already have one because elections shouldn't matter so much. See, and when you refer to elections, you're not referring to the decision of a little clique of people who get to determine how government goes. It's an election that involves the whole people. 
so that folks who are working class people and workers and people who are you know just regular business people and, and owners of enterprise and professional people all come together to contribute to that outcome. And the whole people of our country are the people in charge. Unless we forget ourselves, as we have been doing, and let these people get away with hijacking the government in order to serve their own interests. And out of this last impeachment trial, the thing that people need to just really remember, not, not all the phony junk and, and, and false witnesses and so forth and so on, what they need to remember is the truth that came out about Joseph Biden and his son and John Kerry and other people who were involved behind the scenes in building up their dynastic power, their family power, using the offices that then allowed them to control the power that is the result of all our work and the tax money we all give to the government and so forth and so on. They were abusing that trust in order to divert the result to their power instead of our power, giving them all the more reason to think that they are the ruling class and we are on our way to becoming nobody at all in our own country. Do we need term limits to stop that from having from that engrossed power being in those people for so many decades that their families get uh, graft and their families' families get graft and do we need term limits? Do you support term limits? Or do you say, no, we don't need term limits, it's just an ele uh, informed electorate? Because in some ways, I think you don't limit the damage that way unless you have regained the initiative. And if you regain the initiative in terms of setting the agenda for your representatives and kicking them out when they go against that agenda, which we haven't been doing, by the way, on either side. We just haven't been doing it. And by the way, even after the travesty that just took place, and, and the, I, what was revealed, I think, as a total abuse of power in the House of Representatives by the present majority. Um, guess what? Polls are coming out saying that in this election year, headed into the election, the response that people are going to vote for their incumbent is stronger than it has been in recent history. Really? They're more likely That's what they're to saying. vote? They're more likely to Does vote Does that mean that people actually not, are happy? They, I don't know whether you polls. First of all, let's take all polls with a grain of salt. <laughs> yes. It's a an interesting thing to salt. talk about. But let's take it for a moment that that poll is true. That points, however, to the problem. Because the problem isn't entrenched elites. You can't be an entrenched elite in the United States government unless voters keep going along with you every election. Keep swilling your propaganda instead of vomiting you up and vomiting those lies back in their faces. When we start doing that, we'll get back control of their country. And I have been hoping, sort of against hope, that maybe the election in 2016 was the beginning of that as a general phenomenon. And one of the reasons I take, take the polls with a grain of salt is very simple. Because it didn't predict the results of the last election. I don't know it's going to predict this mm. one. And they, they are doing everything in their power to suppress the true feelings of people at the grassroots. So I think that bar cheating, if we get a true grassroots expression, then that polls just a lot of hooey. And I think most people watch the spectacle in the Congress. They watch the sick way in which these people have been preventing good government from taking place by throwing everything at the president to keep him from being able to guide the government's work. And then they're impressed. You know why? 
I think they're impressed because they look at the fact that in spite of all of that exactly. distraction and all of exactly. that opposition, could he this guy has still been producing results. One point I want to raise, though. <laughs> One point to, to talk about for a minute or two here. And uh, maybe we can get to it. It's going to come up again. Never mind the corona thing. Don't 2008. I was talking to somebody this morning, and I referred million. to the crash in 2008, and they didn't even remember it. And I was disappointed. I said to myself, wait a minute. You can't forget don't that. remember. September the 29th, I think. Well, we right? remember. September we're in the that 29th. Business, yeah. Exactly. September the 29th. Stock market crashes. It, it uh, became, I think, the greatest single-day percentage-wise crash uh, up to that point in its history, better or greater than the 29 crash and all of that, though perhaps a little less, less significant, but only because the stock market is somewhat less significant in its role in the overall economy. But leave all that aside, big crash. And um, at the time before that crash occurred, the two conventions had taken place. Um, the, the McCain had come out of the Republican convention. Democrats had a convention. They boost. And Obama was ahead, and then he decided to go with um, the lady from Alaska. Sarah Palin. Uh, Sarah Palin. Very good. And the polls showed him running ahead or neck and neck with Obama. And shortly after that, bang. They came out of the summer with that scenario, and they were catching up or passing, and then that crash hit. Um, and I was reading articles today, several of them, that... It looks as if something is at work. I would be accused of conspiracy theory if I said some people are at work. But So I didn't say that. I just said <laughs> something is at work that looks like with the Wuhan virus and all of that, you're creating an environment in which because of the various ways in which things are structured now into such dependency on Chinese labor for various things that are important to the pipelines of goods that are sold in America and that everybody benefits from because of the strength of the American market feeding other uh, markets in the world, other producers in the world, it could all come a cropper now with another crash. Well, I, I was listening to somebody talk earlier about elections and they were saying, Really, elections come down to a referendum on usually the candidate or the party that's in power. If you say, hey, it's Trump that's in power, that's fine, and you're going to have a the presidential race will be a referendum on him. Unless you have someone who is just a complete firebrand, something completely different, where you have a Bernie Sanders type candidate, and then it's going to be a, re a referendum on the referendums on Bernie Sanders and socialism, really, I think. <laughs> and I think that bodes well for Trump. I really don't. I've done a little bit of math. I don't see how Democrats, no matter what ticket they pull, where they come out with a victory because they've really yeah. hurt themselves in a lot of these swing states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, places with agriculture, things like that. I really don't see how they do it. But I think if you have a referendum on power and you referendum on the last couple of years, you say, well, what happened? Well, we saw a lot of good things happen with Trump and we saw a lot of nothing arguing, stifling bickering happened yeah. in the House, I think you have those two referendums, bodes but, well but, for but, Trump. But think about it. That's why I think this crash scenario needs to be thought yes, through. Yes. Because a State of the Union address was wonderful. But I would have to say 80% of it was all about prosperity the economy, and the yeah, economy. How good we're doing. If the economy crashes, so does that State of the Union address I and think people impact. realize. You know, I know no, they it, never have. I know what I you're saying. I think the coronavirus, I, you, you say that's not something... But it's not something, hey, we didn't foresee this. We didn't plan for this. 
like when the real estate crash happened before. I saw it coming. A lot of other people did too. If you go back and watch some tapes, there were things that were forecasting, hey, this is going to happen. A, a, a bug from China, I don't think is, I think everybody looks at that and says, that's no, not see, really a governmental truth, fault. The truth it's is not, going to get out there, I hope. You're right. I don't know that they should be blaming Donald Trump for something that was triggered by what? By what appears more and more confirmedly to be an engineered virus mm. that was released, lo and behold, because the Chinese probably had developed it, and it then went into the wild in Wuhan, China, where one of their yeah. uh, labs for doing this kind of illicit work on uh, uh, weaponizing viruses takes place. So I think if the truth gets out, and that was going to be my conclusion, by the way, <laughs> uh, I think that they I'm may hurt. be planning to herd us into the cow pens again uh, with a crash or something like that, which can be manipulated for a while on the stock market. But it doesn't have to work, you know. You could always just keep your eye on the ball. And the ball is very simple. The ball is all these people mad for power who have been lying and cheating mm. and who have been showing Amen. the mantle of their corruption in every way in response. That's the true meaning of Trump derangement syndrome. They are mad with power and they mean to get it and keep it by all means possible. And the only people who can thwart them are the voters of this country. Set your mind on doing that. Vote against them no matter what. And you may see happy days returning to uh, and continuing on account of your willingness not just to follow Trump, but to do what your common sense tells you is right instead of what these phony lying events that are being orchestrated are trying to goad you into doing, which is destroy your own self-government. Ponder that, and then join us again here at Let's Talk America.